time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Welcome back, friends, to The Right Conversations. I'm so excited to have you with us for another episode. Um, Today's topic is actually something that our guest today, who I will let themselves introduce themselves in a moment, uh, came to me and was like, I want to talk about this. And I was like, oh, thank heavens. Yes, (laughs) please. Let's talk about it. Um, So today we're going to be talking about and having a conversation around emotional intimacy and men and specifically um, as people who were assigned male at birth and, and socialized as men in, in the world. Um, so my dear, you want to introduce yourself and tell everyone who you are and what you do. You've been on here before. So anything you want to say? I have. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me back, Rachel. Yeah. I'm Melissa Fulgieri. I'm a social worker. I'm an entrepreneur and a speaker, professor and writer um, living and working in New York City. Yep. Right. Right down the road. Mm -hmm. Right down the road. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So how did this topic come up for you and what what was kind of like the driving force behind let's do an episode on this? Yeah. So when you and I touched base, um, you know, I was, I was having this experience in my practice where, you know, when I first was interested in psychology and then, um, later on social work, really like the theories that I was first grounded in were feminist theories. I had this mentor that was this, you know, badass woman, her name's Dr. Alicia Ali, and she did a lot of work in economic empowerment for domestic violence survivors. And she worked with this woman, um, Dana Jack, another badass in feminist theory to coin this idea of self-silencing that women do. Um, And that sort of led me to this like, you know, female women's empowerment um, focus with sort of like a domestic violence um, Mm. niche. And so, you know, cut to 10 to 15 years later, and I'm in my private practice and I'm on Instagram and all of my followers are are women. And um, I, I have this moment where I'm looking at my caseload and I realize 80% of my caseload are men. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how the hell did I get here? Like, how did this happen? I don't market to men. Men don't follow me on Instagram. Interesting. Where are they coming from? And then at like, you know, in addition to that, I'm I'm reading all these articles and taking in all this content about the loneliness of men and about men's mental health crisis. And I start putting these two things together, thinking like, what the hell is going on and why am I specifically placed in this role to be sort of on the front lines of what is happening in our culture? Yeah. 
So did you, did you ever figure out my logistic brain is like, where did they come from? <laughs> like, did you figure out how, how that happened? I mean, concretely, I still yeah. don't know. I, I don't know where they're coming from. I mean, I uh, like the real answer is that it's word of mouth, I think. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what I think, like, you know, when I was thinking about like, why me, um, why specifically me, I started thinking about my approach. And um, I had a boss once say to me, like, you know, Melissa, I'll be walking, you know, like we'll have an interaction and I will have gotten halfway down the street where I've realized that you've just lovingly told me to go fuck myself. And that was like such an interesting piece of feedback, but it is so in keeping with, I think, the way that I give therapy today, which is what I would call lovingly direct. Mm -hmm. Um you know, because, and I think there's something about, you know, in the wake of me too, where, you know, there was this big pendulum swing of holding men accountable. And then the aftermath of that was this real, you know, not just a reckoning, but also like a terror of like, well, what can we do? How should we behave now? And all of these question marks. And I think we're sort of in this space in our culture right now, that's like, we we don't you know none of us have the exact answers but at least you know there are people that are willing to have the conversation and really sit in that nuance and that nuance yeah. for me is always my my happiest most interesting space yeah yeah i love that it's nuance is so important it's been coming up in a lot of conversations lately too um just the idea of our world becoming with with social media that it loses so much nuance and you know i think that that is a natural byproduct of like how do you make a reel in 30 seconds that you know can keep someone's attention and also get the most important points across which in so many ways is so helpful and makes things accessible to some folks who it wouldn't be accessible to and all of this stuff and that does take away the literal space for there to be nuance in something. Right. And, you know, to be fair, like, you know, um, it's really difficult when you're in relation with someone else to constantly be compassionate and access the nuance when you're being harmed. Right. Ooh, say more. <laughs> so what I mean by that is like, you know, I started realizing that these men were entrusting me in their internal emotional world because I could access the compassion and the nuance for them that their partners that were women couldn't. And then when I started working with their partners in them, it was like almost like I started to become the conduit or the translator of their internal world to be able to reflect it back to their partner who was basically at their wits end saying like i'm done i'm tired i can't hold this space for you anymore yeah um, and you know having me do that work i think started to become really helpful yeah i bet i mean you're a translator of sorts right and that that shows up in in so much of uh couples work and, and dyad work in different ways, but this specifically, what have you been seeing and finding in terms of this internal emotional experience and perhaps the loneliness piece and, and emotional intimacy stuff relates yeah. here? 
Yeah, I think for one, it's a lack of self-awareness. Like, I think, um, you know, it's sometimes I think I can go to a place of superiority because of our our work where we're like, we're so self-aware because we're therapists. But like, I just want to preface this by saying, like, I was in my own therapy two days ago and just learned something very core about my personality where I was like, that's so interesting that I do that and have done that my whole life. Like, yeah, well, same, um, same. Yeah, so only, only 20 yeah. years in. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So like, I am certainly not like, you know, better than anyone in this space. But I say that to say self awareness is such a practice. And it's such a muscle that you have to want to lean in towards. Hmm. And what I see for a lot of men is they they're not leaning in always towards the self-awareness except for these men that are coming in through my door and i mean you'll be shocked to hear that like you know some of their presenting problems are saying to me i want to work on my white male entitlement i want to treat myself better because i realize that when i don't treat myself well i treat the women in my life really poorly like it is wow it's like if they're such a concept of being like professionally horny by a presenting problem. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're like, I'm professionally wet right now. Thank you. <laughs> right. I'm like that. That's arousing. That I, yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. So, you know, I started realizing like, holy shit, this is possible. And you have to want to pick up that phone call and do the work. And what I know about the world that we're living in, which is like another topic for another day, is that people are lonelier and more isolated than they've ever been. And that's even just in like the, the trappings of their own minds. And so to, to be able to not only go, God, I need help, but then it, to be able to reach out for help is imposs near impossible. And it's something that men don't always prioritize. And I'll, I'll share a quick anecdote with you. Yeah. I was on the phone with, um, like a, a literary agent, a book agent. And I was talking to her about wanting this to write this book about my experiences with men. And I sent her this proposal and she's like, Melissa, this book needs to be written, but I have to tell you, men don't read self-help books. So there's going to be no return on investment. Like this book in this way, can't get made. So you have to think about another way. Whoa. Whoa. That's fascinating. Yeah. And, and like, that's exactly what I'm saying, right? It's like, yeah, it's so, it's so easy to not turn towards your own struggles and so much easier to turn away, to shut down. And, you know, if you're not, taught the emotional literacy that people who are socialized as women get taught, right? Like I learned how to label my feelings. Um, and I learned how to understand my feelings by reflecting it to my girlfriends my whole entire life, right? Mm -hmm. Like they were jealous. I feel that way sometimes too. They felt angry. I feel that way sometimes too. And yeah, when I know about so many men friendships is that they're they're not intimate, they're activity-based, they're mm. surface. And that's why I, I've been noticing that so many men that I work with 
prefer the company of women because they feel like they can be themselves as opposed to this peacocky, mm-hmm. like, I guess we just have to, we have to only operate on this one frequency that doesn't actually get into the heart of how the hell are you doing? How are you actually doing? So how, okay. Wow. I have so many questions for you. They all just flooded into my head. Tell me every single one of them. I know. I'm like, can I write them all down? No, I can't write fast enough. Okay. So let's start here. If uh, a cis man is listening to this episode. Mm-hmm. What is something that he let's let's say this person listening hasn't done any amount of work to even be able to notice that there is an opportunity for the work? Mm-hmm. Where would you encourage that person to start? With an acknowledgement of where there are, where where they are. And that it's not their fault. Can you say more about why it's not their fault? Because I also think that that will be helpful to their partners, whether that is whatever gender their partner is. Yeah. What I know about men, the cis men, and I, I work with, you know, again, the people who have come through my office that I'm speaking about are primarily cis men. Um, or folks that were raised or socialized as men. Um, I the the theme that I see time and time again is this difficulty to ask for help. And I think it's primarily because of a lack of emotional literacy around like what um what's allowed as a man, right? Like men are really only allowed to show, you know, they're definitely allowed to show anger. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the other feelings, shame, guilt, worry, you know, it's interesting. I'll say to men a lot, like, you know, you sound worried or you sound afraid and they'll always, always, always say, no, I'm not afraid. Mm -hmm. And they're describing fear to me. Right. But they, that is such a hard emotion to co-sign to seemingly as a man that like, I, I am not afraid. I'm just blah, blah, blah. And, um, I think that's the first barrier because if, if you can't access the fact that you're worried or that you're afraid, then you, you can't access help because you'd have to acknowledge that you're afraid. Right. Right. It, it reminds me of, there was a, um, most people listening know, I watched The Bachelor and Bachelorette. Mm-hmm. And, so many therapists uh, do, by the way. Yeah, I have found that. It's very interesting. I like, I, yeah, we can talk about that later. <laughs> the amount of therapists that have written me about Love is Blind, this past season of Love is Blind. I'm oh. like, yeah, this is fascinating. I think we're just all like, it's both not work and whatever. It's a totally. whole other thing. So totally. there was this like in the moment interview, which is uh, for people who don't know reality TV, that's kind of when like the the person on the show is talking to a producer, but the producer is off camera. And so what you see is like a background and like this person just like talking. And, you know, the producer will ask a question and then the, the person response to the question in a full sentence. So it just sounds like it's coming from them. So like, oh, when I walked into the room, I, and the question was like, 
what did you think and feel when you walked into the room? So in this, in the moment interview, it was with a, a guy and he was like, so he was so angry. I mean, so angry. He was so lit up and he's like, you know, I'm just, I'm not an emotional person. And I, I had to pause the, the recording and I just started laughing to myself and not because I wasn't laughing at this person. I was laughing because of the way that men are socialized to believe that like anger is not an emotion. Yeah. Like all of the other ones, like anxiety, fear, sadness, all of these things that are socially considered for, for many men growing up as like quote unquote weak things to feel mm -hmm. and experience. But this person was exhibiting large emote, like giant emotion while saying the words, I'm just not an emotional person. I can't tell you how often that happens in couple therapy, like where, you know, if I'm working with um, a cishet couple, often the man will say to me, well, I'm more rational and she's more the emotional one. And I'll say, actually, you both have emotions. Consider that she might feel more comfortable expressing her emotions and you might feel more comfortable internalizing your emotions. How, when you reflect that, what kind of response do you typically get? Um, it's a spectrum of shock to <laughs> like, to confusion to no, I don't think that's true. Like it's, it's the, it's a mixed bag, you know, it, yeah. again, it totally depends on like how deep is someone willing to really meet themselves and really access this idea that like, it's the same premise of like when you're in relationship therapy and you go, no, this isn't about right or wrong. Right. This is about two perspectives or multiple perspectives. It, it's that shift that you, is a kind of a mind fuck for a lot of people at first because you, yeah. you know, grew to believe I'm this way, they're this way, and and that's how it how it goes. The honey pot is more than the products in your bathroom cabinet. It's embracing that time of the month. It's staying balanced through the ups and downs, good sex and bad sex. It's exploring. It's learning. It's plant derived. Powered by herbs and science, the first complete personal care system to get you what you need when you need it. Check out The Honeypot at Target, Walmart, Walgreens, and on thehoneypot.co. You can enter code RACHEL20, that's R-A-C-H-E-L-2-0, for 20% off your first Honeypot order on thehoneypot.co. So what have you seen in your practice as some of the benefits for these cis men who are leaning in to, to the work? Yeah. I mean, I, I started writing this piece, um, that I'm going to call happy wife, happy life, because I think that there's this, I think that that has ruined a lot of people. Yeah. I that. hate that expression so much. It's so messed up. And the reason why I want to talk about that expression is that I think a lot of us, a lot of us and a lot of men specifically were sold this idea of like, if I just keep my partner happy, mm -hmm. I will have a happy life. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is they end up divorcing themselves from their actual internal experience mm -hmm. and therefore their actual needs because they think, let me just 
conflict avoid, make my partner happy, and that will somehow result in happiness for me, and it's not working. And neither, neither person are happy if we're talking about a dyad relationship, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I'm seeing most often in my practices. You know, I'm noticing that women are, um, they lean out by being deferential, which is certainly something that I've struggled with where it's like, I just want to be the cool, chill, easy girl who doesn't have the needs. And so that's how I lean out, right? Whereas men, I think often lean out by being agreeable. And so what's happening is you're like, two people are leaning out and not even authentically connecting around what they actually want. What do you think would happen collectively? if more men leaned in? I know what happens collectively, a shit ton more conflict. And that's what I'll say to them. Like I had a family therapist once um, teach me, call call this tool making problems relational. And mm-hmm. that's what I, I noticed that the men in my practice so often are struggling with is because they're struggling to label their emotions and then they're struggling to ask for help they have all these problems coming up in their minds and their bodies and they are just trying to solve them on their own trying to solve them on their own and they're not cluing their partner in to go i'm struggling help and then you know you start to see those downstream issues of whatever vice it is right maybe they're getting high too often or they're you know um, on the apps too often, or they're playing video games too, however way, whatever you do when you lean out, yeah, that's what's happening is like, you know, the bridge, um, there's no bridge to connect. And, and then what I see that becomes even worse in this pattern, um, did you ever read the book, the will to change? Yeah. So my husband is reading excerpts of it to me and um, we're at the part where bell hooks is talking about the rage that women feel. Yeah. Yeah. My therapist assigned me this book because I had like no access to rage. Oh, well, I thought I didn't. That's a whole other episode. Yeah. 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 Well, I sometimes have too much access to rage. Uh, so we could meet, maybe we'll meet in the middle. Great. Yeah. Between the two of us, we can seesaw that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, you know, she talks about like women get rageful because they can't, they don't know where the man in their life is internally. Mm. Where are you? Yeah. Where are you? And because women have a tendency in our society to overfunction, it's not just where are you, it's because I don't know where the fuck you are, I have to do all of this other work. And if you want to allow a man to open up, rage is not a great environment to open up in. Right, right. Yeah, nobody really wants to open up to someone who is being rageful. And like at best that presents itself as, you know, the like, what are you thinking right now? You know, and then that question, even creating frustration or anger in the man receiving it. Yeah. 
you know, I, I remember, I don't, I don't remember who it was. And even if I did, I should probably not say. So let's just say, I remember uh, a woman in my life asking something like that to like, what are you thinking to, Mm -hmm. to an adult man in my life? I was younger. Um, and the response was like, I, I told you, I'm not usually thinking about anything. Oh my God. I've heard that so many times throughout my life. What do you think that is? Is that just the shutdown? Like what, what do you think your hypothesis around what that response is about? It's either, I don't want to say what I'm thinking about or it's, I don't know. Yeah. You know, cause, cause that's what I, um, you know, I, I don't know if you ever use this framing of like when people are struggling to be change their behavior. Sometimes I um, split it up between is it why should I change my behavior or how should I change my behavior? Yeah. And oftentimes when I work with men, it's how. Mm-hmm. How do I say this to my partner? Mm-hmm. How do I say I'm mad at her? How do I say, God, that thing you said to me just made me feel so belittled, right? And it's very difficult to want to lean in to that conflict, especially when it's so easy in our world now to be on Instagram and scroll. Why? Like there's so many ways to distract ourselves now that like the idea that we want to lean in is so hard and it perpetuates this loneliness that I don't think a lot of people even understand where that's coming from or how to unravel that loneliness they feel that comes from not sharing their internal world with the people they love. That is such a, oh, yes. And that, the the idea, you know, people hear loneliness and will often think of like physical proximity to humans. And like, oh, well, what do you mean? You're, you have this community or you live with your partner or whatever the case may be. And it's, it's exactly what you're just describing is that when no one is there or we're not willing to show our internal world to be witnessed by someone else, it's a very lonely, isolating feeling. Yeah. I mean, I always think about this scene in Titanic where Rose has like, there's this voiceover. She's like in the banquet hall with all of like the, it's the dinner and the clacking. And she is so sad and lonely, even though she's a room full of people, boisterous, you know, all of the resources that one could want. And it, people feel lonely all the time in their relationships. And I think that's, again, like your question around like, if a cis man is listening to this, what should he do? The answer is like, just acknowledge that this is real. This experience yes. is real, not only real, but so common and more and more common regardless of our gender. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, you said something just a couple of minutes ago about possibly having the response of like thinking about nothing be, I don't know. And I think that it can be so hard for all of us at different points to say, I don't know, whether it's about our own information or about, you know, a fact or like, have you read this book? It can be hard to say no. You know, like it's one of the most empowering things that I know I learned through therapy work. And frankly, I learned this a lot when I was working in restaurants, when I, w- I worked in restaurants, like all through hey. um, college and grad school and all of that. And being able to be asked a question by a guest at a restaurant and say, you know, 
I don't know. I'm going to go ask the chef. I'll be right back. Or I don't know. I'm going to go ask my psalm and be right back is so fucking empowering. And then the person looks at you like, I trust you now because you're not bullshitting me. And that cycle of then feeling like empowered by humbling yourself to be like, I actually don't fucking know. I have no idea what you're talking about at all. I mean, it's so crazy you're saying that because I, I lived that exact experience. I used to work at Sarah Beth's as a waitress and there was a spring vegetable omelet. And I swear to God, it depended on the day if I was going to say, I don't know, or if I was just going to make up whatever the fuck vegetables <laughs> were in the spring omelet. And it was always a choice of just like, is today the day where I'm going to feel incredible and say, I don't know, or is today the day where I'm going to just like guess and like cross my fingers and hope that I got it right. And I think a lot of men don't feel safe enough to say, I don't know, because so much of their power comes from them knowing because they're the ones in power. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. And so what if the person in power, right? Like, let's play this out. What if the person in power was humble enough and self-aware enough to say, I don't know? Yeah. Yeah. And I just learned how to do that like five years ago in my career from Sue Johnson, EFT couple therapist. She's when, amazing. Yeah. When people come through her door and ask her how to do something like, can you just make my partner propose to me? She'll say, I'm so sorry. I don't know how to do that. So simple, yeah. so badass, and such a real, a real understanding of what what you can actually control. And right. you know, it's interesting because Roxanne Gay wrote this piece that rocked my world last night. I was like up 1 a.m reading it and just having this experience about Jordan Neely, who passed away, um, was killed on the subway earlier this week by a Marine who put him in a chokehold. And um, she writes this question in the Times where she says, why are men so afraid? And my answer to that is, I think they're afraid when they feel powerless. And I think that's that's where you start to see harm happen. Well, feeling out of control is scary for people who have had perceived control. Yeah. Yeah. And whether whether that control is truly real or perceived, it it's scary. Yeah. Yeah, and and so you know, I, I think like you want to talk about powerlessness, feeling cut off from your emotions is powerlessness. Because if you don't know what you're feeling, you're just acting erratically. And, um, you know, I see that all the time with men where they they'll come to me and they have just committed a huge transgression. Mm -hmm. And um, they'll say to me like, I, th I think I'm okay, though. I'm not going to do that again. And I'll have to go, no, let's go back there and really talk through what was happening for you when you did that. And they don't want to. They don't want to go into that shame and that guilt yeah. and that pain. Because who does? Who wants to look at their worst behavior? 
right? But that's really the way that we increase accountability around what we're bringing to the party. And it's how we evolve. Mm-hmm. I'm it, like, I, without being able to look at that, this is so, I, I really hope that no matter what your gender is, <laughs> as you're listening to this, that A, you can take something from it and B, perhaps share this with someone in your life. Um, One of the things that I know Melissa and I are both really passionate about is making these like therapeutic and more like psychological, like heady concepts a bit more tactical and like easier to understand and share and say, you know, hey, I listened to this podcast and I learned blah, 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 blah. And I learned that I didn't know and whatever that thing is, right? And so I I hope that there are things that from this conversation you can take away. And there's there's so much more that I want to get into. And perhaps we'll we'll just have to do another episode because this could go on for for a long time. Truly, truly. Yeah. So it, if you wanted to leave everyone with something today. <laughs> to walk away with, which I know is very hard um, after all of that. What would it be? I think it's allow yourself to feel what you feel and don't judge yourself for not knowing what those feelings are. That's the first place to start. And that's a muscle. That's not a death sentence. You can and do get better. You just have to be able to lean into that work. Thank you for that. Yeah. I think my my one of my biggest takeaways and reminders, both for myself and specifically around men and emotional intimacy, is this seeing being vulnerable and seeing the inner world and being known is how we combat that. And I think that that's something that, as someone who personally can kind of go more into an isolated state when feeling vulnerable, that's really important for me to remember. And just know that if you're someone out there listening who also does that, like, I get it. It's it's very hard and scary for some of us to be seen when we don't feel worthy or um, good enough to be seen, whether that is physically, emotionally, psychologically, it's hard. Yeah. It's a risk. I mean, you and me both, honey, I'm in in the same way and it only gets harder and more judgmental when you're a therapist, because you're supposed to be good at that. And so there's a whole other layer of like, bitch, you can't figure this out. Like you teach this, you know, me saying that to myself. Right. So, Oh yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. We have to all be able to take that risk because that's where the greatest rewards are. Yes. Amen. Ugh. Well, I will put all of your contact info in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but for anybody listening and not accessing show notes, where can they find you? They can find me um, on Instagram, uh, which is my first and last name, LLC. So at Melissa Fulgeri, LLC, they can find me on my website, which is just my first and last name.com. Um, I'm taking on one client. So anyone listening that wants to get in on that, um, reach out to me via email, which you can find on my Instagram and 
stay tuned for other fun projects. I'm going to start writing a monthly column for um, Byline. So that's coming through um, in June. So you can read more of my writing there. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for this. And thank you for bringing this topic to me. And I'm just, I'm so, this is great. Thank you, Rachel. Good to talk with you. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together.